Thank you for joining us for this month's episode of Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. My name is Mandy Moody, and I am the content manager here. And today I am excited to talk to Malaika Nolda, and she is actually a speaker at our upcoming Fraud Conference Europe in Germany in Frankfurt this April. And she's here to talk about a regulation that I think we have all heard about. And if we haven't heard about it, then you need to go look it up right now. But it is the GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, that will roll out in May. And it means a lot for everybody, even people outside of the European Union, where this regulation will go into effect. So, Malaika, first, tell me a little bit about you and where you are right now, your current role, and kind of how you became involved in compliance and data protection. Thanks for having me. I um, um, have been a lawyer for 10 years almost now, and um, I fell in love with criminal law basically right from the beginning. Um, it's also um, in our family a bit this criminal law interest. and. Um, Actually, data protection and criminal compliance are, from my point of view, very close um, to each other because um, criminal lawyers were the ones um, in the early years of data protection in Germany who were very familiar with these um, kind of balance between freedom and security mm -hmm. on the one hand and on the, the other hand, and it was this fighting against Big Brother. Um, it was in the beginning of data protection and then Big Brother got many little sisters in the meantime and maybe um, when it comes to internal investigations, these little sisters can be even more uh, interesting for, for the fraud examiners now. So that's why criminal compliance and data protection are so linked to each other and that's why my interest started very early to, to combine these two subjects and pieces of law. Oh, interesting. So what was your first position that you took in the field? Oh, it was basically criminal law, so that's um, and up to now, that's my actually main area of, of specialization. I'm no labor lawyer, and I'm no mere data protection lawyer. I'm, I'm always interested in uh, the combination and um, where these two fields of law join. So it's more like the the pathological side of of data protection that's interesting for uh, criminal lawyers and maybe also for the fraud examiners. And of course, now when I mentioned the little sisters. Um, it's it's um, always important for you to um, be very well aware of the own liability risks and how to um, perform internal investigations in a way that are um, in compliance with the data protection rules. So you are planning to speak on this topic in Frankfurt in April and about internal investigations and how people can be in accordance with GDPR. What does GDPR stand for and how did it originate for those people who may be listening who have only just heard of it or maybe even not heard of it at all? The acronym stands for General Data Protection Regulation. It's um, a new regulation on a European level, but not only um, binding for um, entities in Europe, but um, it stems from the European Parliament, the, the Council of the European Union and the European Commission. It was actually entered into force in 2015, the end of 2015 and 2016, so that was the main period where we all discussed it very um, intensely and then they gave us a period of two years to implement it in, in a way that is possible and, and viable for all the um, companies that have to face it now. So how did this regulation originate and how was it adopted? It's a regulation by the European Parliament, the Council of the European Union and the European Commission and um, they intended to 
gain a higher level of harmonization. And uh, there were many years of discussion, and then in the end it was adopted in April 2016. And they gave us two years period of grace, so to speak, to um, have this transition and to have um, from, for many member states, it will be a complete paradigm shift. And so these two years turn out to be a very small period of time um, to prepare for it. But in um, May 2018, 25th of May, to be precise, um, it will be enforceable and will become enforceable. And that's not only um, important for the regulation itself and the whole articles, but also for the fine and the risk management that people have to face if they want to avoid these high fines of 2% um, or 4% of the annual turnover um, if it really comes out bad. What is so significant about this and how do you see it affecting internal investigations and affecting fraud examiners? And the most interesting thing maybe and the, um, a topic that is um, dominating the discussion um, very severely is that um, the fines that are um, possible according to this general data protection regulation are much more severe than anything we faced so far in the field of data protection. Um, it says that um, it says that infringements of the following provisions and the provisions uh, are given on a very broad level, uh, basically only quoting the articles 8, 11, 25 and so on, so it's not describing and different offenses, but only referring to the different articles of this regulation. And if you infringe one of the provisions of this general data protection rule, then you might face either 10 million or 20 million or um, even 2% or 4%, depending on, on the offense and on the um, provision you violate, of the total worldwide annual turnover of the company. And then um, it's very severe discussion whether that means the single entity or um, the group of companies. So that's um, the amount you're facing, not only this 10 to 20 million, but of course this um, percentage giving here 2% or 4% of the total worldwide annual turnover, um, that's really what's dominating the discussion right now. Because it's very much about risk management and um, the risks are very high starting in, in May 2018. So far it was often the case that when you did an, an internal investigation, people are balancing the risk and say, well, what are we gaining if we're doing this, this internal investigation? Then maybe our liability regarding antitrust or whatever is reduced in a certain amount, so we will maybe even accept risks stemming from data protection infringements. Mm -hmm. And this is what the people at the EU level wanted to prohibit now, and they say that it's necessary to make the risks significantly higher and um, to reach a point where um, you, you don't tolerate these risks stemming from data protection because they are as high as risks from other fields of law. That was the motivation behind it. And have you seen people preparing? Do you think companies, from what you have seen, are adequately prepared for May? Well, people start kind of to wake up now. So it's um, it's like when you go to the dentist, you don't want to hear why didn't you come earlier. Yeah. So basically, that's what most lawyers um tend to tell the clients now because um, we are we have this two years period and we are waiting from basically 2016 that clients prepare for this May 2018 event so to speak um, and actually it started 
some months ago that um, people reacting now and the companies, the, the um, bigger companies are reacting now. So if you ask for a percentage, there are even um, surveys and reviews that say that to a very large amount, companies are not prepared yet and are starting to, to prepare just now. It's not too late, of course, <laughs> so it's yeah. better to do it now than, than never. And even though this is an EU regulation, this will still have a significant impact on companies, on fraud examiners around the world. What would you say to the U.S.-based company who said, oh, this, this doesn't affect me? It's very difficult to be on an island where you don't process any kind of personal data of EU citizens. So I guess it's really very difficult to find a company that's not in any way involved or um, affected by this regulation. So it would be kind of a risky business to turn a blind eye on it. And it's, uh, I'm not um, belonging to the party who says, well, look at these signs and it's all, we're all going to die <laughs> and um, all such a severe situation. But it's a very wise decision to face the risk and to... Um, be prepared. It's possible to prepare in a very efficient manner and it's not um, kind of um, reason for panic or to say, well, we, we won't touch it because it's so um, difficult to, to tackle anyway. It's, there are efficient ways to be prepared for it and it, it's um, important for anyone and that's why I think in a, in a joint manner we all can prepare for it and um, make sure that the risks even going on um, in May um, make it even um, more efficient to have internal investigations in a way that are in accordance with the regulation. The main problem from my point of view is that um, what the um, EU regulation planned was to have a very high level of harmonization, so even to motivate maybe people um, abroad on, and, and companies abroad to say, well, that it might be possible to be in accordance with data protection on a European level and that's why we are having a data protection compliance system in line with it and it's not necessary any longer to face the uh, orders of so many different member states. That was um, the intended motivation and at least for, for fraud examiners it's important to know that it's possible to have different regulations for employees and, uh, and the data of um, employees on a national level. So that's um, the remaining issue is to face different member states' regulations, even starting in, in May 2018. You don't have only this high risks um, that I mentioned, but you still have to face different regulations in all the member states because processing in the context of employment will face specific rules in the different member states. There's at least an option and Germany will take it and there are many other member states will take it as well. I mentioned to you when we were talking about doing this that I interviewed a an ex-Secret Service agent in the U.S. here who explained to me, um, he was talking to me about an identity theft case in Texas, and that the philosophy is very different between the U.S. and the EU about data collection. And it's kind of what you just alluded to, that in the U.S. security adjusts to the business, but in the EU, the business adjusts to the security, and the security is is paramount and first. Do you see that difference as well as as far as how the different entities look at data and data protection? Yes, I can very much confirm this. Um, also, judging by the, the contact we have with um, clients in the US when we do um, internal investigations that are performed in, in both countries or have a cross-link um, between the two countries, it's very difficult to say how many limits or limitations we face here to keep the data and the, um, the results of this internal investigation admissible at court. 
and um, the data, data protection influences the internal investigations. I think in a way here that is very different from um, what we see abroad. As far as enforcement, how do you see that looking? Do you think it will be mostly through fines or sanctions? You mentioned the fines earlier being a huge risk that that the regulation is trying to place on an organization. How do you see them monitoring or knowing uh, what's what's really going on? In the years before and um, maybe even now, uh, one of the limits that protected many companies and, and clients was that the resources of the data protection authorities were very limited. And it was not only the resources, but also kind of their position and point of view, because they tended to be kind of an to, to have a more educational perspective and to bring the companies in a position by educating them that they are respecting and complying with the data protection rule. And the last years that turned around because somehow they mu much of um, the, the data protection authorities, or many of them, are now turning their strategy and say, well, we probably need these fines. Um, to some extent to make sure that people are interested enough in complying with the Data Protection Acts and the, the regulation. So I'm not um, expecting that it will be um, in an amount of 2% or 4% of the annual turnover right from the beginning, of course. There will mm -hmm. be some... Uh, there will be many years where we can take the time and, uh, and adjust to the new regulation, but it also already maybe at a point in the last years that um, it's not this educational perspective that the authorities use, but um, it's the fines are more relevant just to make sure that it's interesting enough for the companies. And this is what I mentioned in the beginning, that you make a balance between what you risk and what you gain from make a very intensive internal investigation that is, should be in the past, because if you balance risks now, then um, the risks stemming from general data protection are maybe even higher than what you gain from the internal investigation. Do you think the fines will be enough for companies, a big enough incentive? Or do you, do you think they will see it as a cost of, of doing business that they may encounter these fines? I think from, from a point of view of a criminal lawyer, of course, I think they, <laughs> um, they are high enough to um, motivate people to be in accordance with the regulation. Uh, even uh, what, what's even more important maybe is the, the negative media coverage you gain if you uh, you risk if you are not in accordance with the general data protection um, regulations. So the the media coverage and the um, bad media is even more important oftentimes for for clients and for the companies now than uh, clients that are very abstract right now. And the media is something they feel even closer than uh, these abstract regulations. So that's, that's our experience. Yeah, the reputational damage that, that occurs in the media. What is one thing that you want fraud examiners to know about the regulation and how it will affect them? What I think is very important is to see not only the fines and the risks stemming from um, compliance with all the, the issues of this data protection regulation, but also the chances. I think that's a better perspective to see it as a tool to be in compliance with the requirements and um, while also using it as an instrument to narrow down your internal investigation to a scope that is really most efficient also for the clients. So it's not only this 
this risk side, but if you really comply with what is inside this data protection regulation and what is um, expected that you narrow down the purpose of your investigation to what is really needed uh, and not be exaggerating the scope or be entering the, the private life of the employee to an extent that is not important for your purposes, then there might be even um, high chances to make the internal investigations much more efficient than they had been in the past. Legal tech options and uh, tools um, that will not only help to um, be very much in compliance with the, the requirements, but also be um, expecting that, uh, I would also expect that it helps a lot, and that's what we experience now. Uh, it helps a lot to narrow down the scope in a way that is both obeying the data protection requirements, but also much more efficient. That's a great way to look at it. That's really helpful for fraud examiners to hear and for companies to hear that it's not just another set of rules, but it is a it's an instrument um, and it's tools that you can use to protect your data better and improve your investigations. That's, that's great advice. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. We look forward to seeing you in Frankfurt very soon. And for those of you listening, you can find out more about Malaika on our website at fraudconference.com slash Europe. Thank you to Malaika and thank you all for listening to this month's podcast. You can find even more podcasts. I know you want more at acfu.com slash podcast on iTunes, on Google Play, or on the place where you find your podcasts. Thank you very much again, and we will talk to you next month. This is Mandy Moody signing off.